Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 14? In Revel there's a as I said earlier, there's a little uh uh a, a little parenthetical uh, writing here or interlude, which includes 12, Revelation 12, 13, 14. And we've seen what the Antichrist has done in summary through the tribulation in 12 and 13. And now we're going to see uh, the response of God, how God uh, responds and brings it to a conclusion. And this, this little interlude here is right in the middle of the revelation. And it begins with the blowing of the seventh trumpet because things move so quickly. So we're given an overview once again uh, in these three uh, chapters. So we need to keep that in mind. And then it gets right back to the the chronological order of things uh, in the next chapter. But we'll be in this chapter for uh, at least a couple of more times after tonight, I think. And we're going on, only going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5 tonight. So in the Revelation here in 14, we're at verse 1. And I looked and behold, the Lamb was standing upon Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, having his name and the name of his father, having been written on their foreheads. Okay, this is what he sees here. This, this glimpse is a fast forward to the return of Christ. And he steps foot on, he he drops down and steps foot on Mount Zion. This is after the, um, the Battle of Armageddon. There's a, if you put the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, what Christ said on the Olivet Discourse, uh, some of the things in Daniel and what is said in the Revelation, you can get, a, you can get an idea uh, of how things will happen of course, Christ and this, this infinite army almost of angels and saints, saints and angels, coming to put an end to everything, the finality of it, and to establish the kingdom, overwhelming force and power. And in coming, he steps down on Mount Zion. The 144,000, we saw them sealed in the Revelation chapter 7. Without a doubt, this is the most profound, prolific, uh, greatest group of preachers at one time that the world will have ever seen. Put it in perspective, for example. There are somewhere... A little, these days, as I understand it, uh, uh, f fewer, 
fewer than 50,000 missionaries in the world today. Now, this is nearly three times that many, 144,000. They are Israelites, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. As, as one preacher said many, many, many years ago, he said, it's like 144,000 Apostle Pauls in the world. Now, just think of what the Apostle Paul did. Now, they've been sealed and they have preached through the entire tribulation. They have been all over the world. The reason we know, it doesn't, it doesn't expressly say that's what they do, but when they're introduced in the Revelation 7, immediately after they're sealed, you have this great number of people who have been saved and they're seen uh, under the altar there, the, the tribulation saints of the early tribulation. And now they were sealed. Everything had to stop. You remember back in the Revelation 7, the angel Angel said, let's don't blow any wind or do anything until these 144,000 are sealed and then they're sealed and sent out. Then you have this great appearance of, of martyred saints who appear in heaven. Uh, it is obviously from a result of the work that they've gone out to do. The mindset of the world and I'll tell you, my observation is that we're just we're just being prepared for this kind of thing, I guess, all the while. But so much more. There's such a stark contrast these days between righteousness and unrighteousness. And the, the boldness of unrighteousness and sinfulness and lawlessness. And the hatred of uh, lawfulness and the hatred of righteousness. It's just so much stronger in its contrast than it's ever been, at least in my 69 years. I just don't know of any time except maybe in the pre-flood world because at the end of it all, there was only Noah and his family. But it seems like that in these days in which we live, we're being set up for the kind of mindset or the, or the two mindsets that will exist in the tribulation, die hard, hardened, hate-filled reprobates who will not be saved. And then others who for various reasons, because of the times and certainly because of the preaching of the 144,000, the witness of the of the two witnesses, uh, all, all of these things come together and, and the cataclysmic events. And so you have untold multitudes of people in that era, in that day, coming to Christ, but most of them are martyred. From the language that's used in the Revelation, the vast majority of people who are saved in the tribulation, we call them tribulation saints, are martyred. Some will enter into the kingdom. Christ returns, does everything that he does to defeat the, it doesn't take much, but to defeat uh, the Gentile power, the, the last Gentile power. 
establishes his, his uh, kingdom on planet earth. And of course, <laughs> things are drastically changed in the world, not the least of which even will be the environment. Um, uh, the attitudes of animals and, and the way, uh, the way uh, shrubs and, and grass and crops will grow. The curse of sin will be lifted for those thousand years, according to Isaiah. So everybody prospers. Whatever you plant is just going to keep producing. There's not going to be any kind of a season other than just a, a, a season of fulfillment and prosperity. Um, and, and, and things are all, all different. But leading up to that, here's these, here are these two polar opposite mindsets. Hatred, darkness, just a, a lostness that, that will not, cannot be cured. And then over here, the final gathering of the final group of God's elect, the tribulation saints. It is to be understood that a great many of them are going to be Israel who will be saved. Those of Israel at that last day, all of Israel will be saved. But there are also a great many Gentiles. Most of them will be killed. Some of them will go into the kingdom in their mortal bodies, Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats enter into the kingdom prepared for you. So here, here are these diam diametrically opposite mindsets, the earth dwellers and the saints. When we look at this glimpse, this is just a glimpse of where things are headed, the last of it, the return of Christ. And so as he comes and sets his feet on Mount Zion, one of the first things on his heart is to gather the 144,000 to himself. This last caste of preachers, this, 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 this last group, they're all, they're all out of the nation of Israel. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. They are sealed to perfection and nothing can harm them. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't suffer hardship. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't even mean that they aren't cast into prison from time to time. But it also doesn't mean that once these things happen, they can be easily reversed by the immutable purpose of God that is always at work in God's creation. Thus Christ, and I've reminded you of this before, but Christ says to those at the last who are gathered to him, the sheep and the goats and the sheep are here. Christ says, I was naked, you clothed me. In prison, you visited me. I was hungry, you fed me. You did all these things. When did we do that? You did it to the least of these, my brethren. You've done it to me. Well, some of those may have been some of the 144,000. It's not to say that as they made it through the worst Holocaust, the worst era ever, 
in the history of man. I mean, they've gone all the way through seven years and they, I know how difficult it is to preach to people in the best of times. There will be, there will never be any times worse than those seven years to see most of your converts killed. To know that you're preaching to people who, if they're saved, going to be beheaded. Their families, their children, just going to be slaughtered, hated, darkness in the hearts of the enemy. And they, they curse and swear at you and threaten and intimidate and all. But they have the seal of God, the name of the Lamb and the name of His Father written on their foreheads. Their enemies... Have the mark of the beast. The 144,000, the seal of God. And they have worked their way through the worst time. I mean, if you think of Jeremiah, how he suffered, for example, Isaiah, how he suffered. Elijah, Elijah was was driven to such deep depression that, that he wanted to die. He was almost suicidal. The, the prophets and how they were mistreated and, and, and how they suffered doesn't compare to the attitude of people toward these 144,000. Even the two witnesses died. They hated them so bad, finally, the Antichrist killed them, but even the Antichrist can't touch this 144,000. They have the seal of God, and it is their job to move out across the world and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the close of the age. And they have survived. Look at this. It doesn't say 135,606. It doesn't say 138,904. It says 144,000. God makes a promise. He keeps his promise. You and I should be encouraged by that because God has promised to keep us who are in Christ. God makes this promise. If, if, he, if he has in his fold a hundred sheep, he goes out with them. He will bring back with him a hundred sheep. He won't lose a single one. Christ said so. So this is a, this is a, great, a great encouragement that we have from what the 144,000. And they suffered. I'm sure they did. They could not have gone through those seven years without facing some of the greatest hardships that God's prophets and preachers have have faced in history. Then he says, and I heard a voice out of heaven as the sound of many waters and as the sound of loud thunder. The voice that I heard was like that of harpists harping with their harps. So it seems in the description that the great voice of God invokes the worship of heaven and the striking up of the harps. And they are singing as a new song before the throne and before the four living ones and the elders. Now let's think about this. 
We have seen up to this point a crescendo of praise. We know that the elders had a song to sing, that the angels have had a praise to lift up to the Lord. We know that the four living ones have their fourfold amen and that the singing and the joining of heaven's choir and heaven's orchestra just crescendos from one group to the next. One group starts, the next group adds into it, and then the next group comes until finally they've come to the 144,000 and the 144,000 at last add their praise to the worship of heaven. And no one was able to learn the song except the 144,000 having been redeemed from the earth. Noah had his particular song that he could sing. I have no idea what it's like to have me and my family be the only ones to survive a worldwide catastrophe and to be on a boat that was only designed to float. I can't take it anywhere. It's just going to go where it's going to go. I have no idea. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, being unblemished in his day. And so Noah had a song he could sing that I don't know. I can't sing that verse. You could say that about all of the people of all of the ages all the way through. Everybody, even when you get to the tribulation, the elders had a song. The, 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 the tribulation saints had a song. The 144,000 had a song that nobody else could sing except the 144,000 having been redeemed from the earth. Now they are still in their physical bodies. They are not glorified here. They're still in their physical bodies. Among the first to be called, what happened? Did angels go around all the world and take this 144,000? I don't know. I just know that they are assembled there at the place where Christ touches down. And they have this very special ceremony that recognizes them and then they have a very special song and they add their song to all the other songs that have been sung to this point. So the harpists are harping, <laughs> the trumpets are blaring, the torches are flaring, the angels are chanting and shouting, the redeemed are singing, and the 144,000 have something to add to that. Because there has never, ever been a group like that in all of the history of God's people. Never. 144,000 who were responsible to carry the gospel to every creature on the face of the earth. What a, what a wonderful song their song must be. Then he begins to describe the 144,000. These are they who have not been defiled with women. Now, what does that mean? Well, go on. For they are pure. 
It's easy to profile the worship of the Antichrist of the tribulation. That worship will be filled with every sensuality. It will be filled with every kind of aberrant sexual behavior. It will be filled as part of the worship because you get this out of the Old Testament. It will be filled with, with illicit sex. You can only imagine how these 144,000 came under the special attack of the demons. And they think, okay, here, the, here they're in a world where all of the demons have been released. Now, every demon, every fallen angel, they're all there. Millions and millions and millions and millions of them. Strong, powerful, spiritual creatures. And they're all moving in accord with the direction of their commander, Satan. He is, he is a murderer. He's He's the father of, of lies. He's the destroyer. And you know that he hates the 144,000. And I'm sure during that time would have done everything that he could do. Utilizing this awful so-called worship of the Antichrist and the worship of Satan himself. To try to get this 144,000, these men off of the path to which they've been placed. But they were never defiled with women for they're pure. This was their job. At this moment in time, it was not their job to engage in any kind of behavior other than the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will have never been preachers like these guys. Never. <laughs> if you lined up 144,000 preachers, I'm not going to go there. These following the Lamb, wherever He shall go, put yourself in that time frame. Every president, every prime minister, every magistrate, every judge, Everybody in the Gentile kingdom of the Antichrist hates the Christ of God, hates the word of God, hates the people of God, and they're threatening and they're killing them. And here comes one of the 144,000 and he boldly stands in the presence of the enemies of God. Maybe he has to stand on the steps of some Laodicean church. So-called, you know, the, the harlot, the whore of, of the revelation is the false church. Maybe he has to stand in the doorway or maybe he has to make his way untouched to the very stage and proclaim the gospel to all the people who are there. Maybe he has to go to the Vatican. Maybe he has to go to some other religious headquarters. Maybe he has to stand on the steps of some legislative building. 
Maybe in the presence of the Antichrist himself, wherever the Lamb goes, that's where they go. So that the gospel of the Lamb is everywhere. They had a purpose, and that purpose was not stopped. They went wherever the Lamb would go. All over the world. There was no danger too great. They cast everything about themselves to the side to be focused on the great work to which they were called and for which they were sealed. These have been redeemed out from men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Now, this is my personal belief. Because they are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes and because they are uniquely Israelite, they are uniquely Israel. It's my belief that they, they were the first among Israel to be called out and saved right after the rapture of the church. They were saved after the rapture of the church. They are of Israel. And it's my belief that they are the first fruits to God and to the Lamb from the nation of Israel. Because the 70th seven year period belongs to Israel. Yes, there are Gentiles who are saved. They are tribulation saints. But it happens in the last seven year period designated for Israel. And the crowning touch, the culmination of the whole thing is the, is the complete salvation of Israel in the closing days when the Christ of God in his return saves them from the door-to-door -door attack, according to Zechariah, and murder and pillage and rape of the Antichrist and his forces in Jerusalem. They were spared. They had a place where they would go. And they had a place where they're delivered as well. So Israel is saying, I think that these guys are the first fruits of Israel saved in the time of the tribulation. That's what I think. First fruits to God and to the Lamb. And they did what, what Old Testament Israel was called to do and yet failed to do. Namely, to carry the name and the word and the purpose and the love of God as a nation to all nations. And they didn't do it. They failed. They turned inward. Oh, we're great. We're God's people. And they were judged because of it. But now I believe that these are the ones who reveal how powerful Israel could have been. If they had been the priests of God to the world as they were designed to be. So they're the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. You couldn't intimidate these guys to compromise the word. You couldn't debate them. You couldn't knock them off of the standard to which they have been called and the principle that filled their lives which is the principle of the gospel of the Lamb and the coming of the kingdom, they would not move from that. They are blameless. You couldn't bring any charges against them. Nothing can be said. Seven years 
all around the world, fearlessly preaching the gospel of Christ, having tremendous results. This is the, the greatest revival in the history of the world is yet to come. It will come in the time of the tribulation. Millions and millions and millions of people in a seven-year period come to Christ. Most of them murdered, martyred, killed because of the darkness of the age and the wrath of the dragon. Some of them will enter in their physical lives into the kingdom. The 144,000 will enter into the kingdom in their physical bodies. Christ himself will welcome them into the kingdom that has been prepared for them. And for those thousand years, they will procreate. They cannot die unless they've done something terrible and the death penalty, there is a death penalty in the time of the millennium. The prophet makes it clear. So if someone rebels, since Satan and all of hell is chained for a thousand years, then anything that is done in rebellion comes out of the heart of a person himself. He has no tempter or anything. It's rare, I'm sure, but it happens. And can you see maybe, and you know, they live, they, they go on into these thousand years and there's no telling how many children they'll have. Just a man and his wife and and they just have children for a thousand years. And their children have children. But maybe, you know, maybe 600 years into the millennium, one of the 144,000 will have a newborn baby and he's watching this child grow and the child maybe someday will Ask him about why people were ever scared of snakes. You know, the Bible says that the, the child shall play with a snake and the lion and the lamb will lay down together. In the millennium when there is no, when the curse of sin is lifted and a child innocently asks the question, how could anybody ever be afraid Maybe they're pulling little whiskers of a tiger. <laughs> the child asks the question, how could, have anybody ever been afraid of a tiger? What an era. The 144,000 will go right into that in their, in their mortal bodies. And in those thousand years, I'm sure that the earth will be repopulated in a tremendous way. Prosperity unlike the world has ever Known. Purity of heart, people coming from all over the world in their designated time from every nation. And the nations will bring their gifts and their riches to Jerusalem, to the son of David, and he will teach them personally. So one nation comes during one month, perhaps, and then another nation during another month or whatever. And Christ is their pastor. He's their shepherd. And he shepherds with the rod of iron. And Jerusalem is changed. Its name 
now will be called, the Lord is there. That's what Ezekiel says. The Lord is there. Well, that takes us through the first five verses. We'll pick it up from there next time. Let's pray together. and We'll be dismissed. Father God, oh, how we long for the beautiful and glorious days of your eternal kingdom. To bask in the glory of your love and care. In glorified bodies to live forever. And to rejoice. To fellowship with all the saints of, of all the ages. And to sit at your feet. And to be taught. To feel the blessing of your presence. Father, how we long for that day. But Lord, we pray that in this present day of trouble and strife, in this day that perhaps is about to give way to the tribulation itself, that as we, as we ponder the nearness of the rapture, God, give us strength and purpose that our hearts might be prepared for your will to be accomplished in our lives in these last days. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.